Hey, hey everyone, welcome to Home Energy Design 101. How to design a beautiful home and make sure it's energy aligned. I'm your host, Amanda Gates, and I'm an interior designer and feng shui practitioner. And these combined skills have made me a floor plan reading expert. Energy design is like astrology for your home and life. Who doesn't want more of that? I believe in all things pretty, and my team and I do the best damn design in the country. But I'll help you create a beautiful design that is also energy aligned to help you get the home and life you've always dreamed of. Are you ready? Let's do this. Hey, hey everyone, welcome to Home Energy Design. I'm your host, Amanda Gates, and I'd like to personally welcome you all to the show. And hey, if you like the show, subscribe. If you hate the show, subscribe. Hey, here's the thing. We think that this like mindful, sustainable feng shui crowd is like totally rad. So we encourage you to reach out to us. Even if you're not on board with our kick-ass movement of like, you know, changing the world, maybe you're just a little bit curious. We'd still love to hear from you. But I will say if you don't like cats, we just might throw your email to the bottom of the barrel. Hint, hint, I am like so totally, completely partial to the tuxedos. If you follow my Instagram, you'll know why. If you're mean or you don't like cats or I don't know, maybe you're a little bit ridiculous, here's the thing. We will flood your inbox with cat videos that will make you pee your pants because our goal is that you will come around to us, right? (laughs) Give us a shout. Today, I'm going to talk to you about the idea of how feng shui is often perceived. And I actually got this idea from a listener by the name of Giovanna Vescovi. And I hope I pronounced that right, Giovanna. If I didn't, give me a shout, let me know. But she sent me a message on Facebook with the following note. Hello, Amanda. Thank you for all the content that you provide us. I am studying to be a feng shui consultant And I've been looking through the information about it and the things you say are my favorite. Woohoo! So thank you and congrats, but I'm actually writing you to make a comment about something I've been listening to a lot on your podcast. I've heard almost all of them. Thanks for that, Giovanna. She says, you always say the sentence, everyone thinks that feng shui is woo-woo hippie shit. The first few times that I heard it, I thought that was really funny and I see what you mean. Honestly, myself, though, I never saw feng shui as woo-woo hippie stuff. And the people around me always saw it as Chinese philosophy that sometimes doesn't make much sense to someone who knows nothing about it. But never hippie shit. Perhaps I am the exception. But listening to you repeatedly say that sentence, it's kind of discouraging. I understand what you mean. But honestly, repeating it just makes it stronger on the collective consciousness. What do you think? Well, first and foremost, Giovanna, I want to thank you for sending in this comment. And I hope that you, uh, I didn't really ask for permission to share that. So I hope that you're okay with me sharing this. But I think that this is such an important topic. And it is a conversation that we need to be having, right? You said it yourself, the collective consciousness. So here's the thing. I started practicing feng shui in the 90s, and I remember literally wanting to talk about it to anyone, I mean anyone, who would listen to me. To my surprise, though, a lot of people here in the States were not nearly as excited about it as I was, like mainly because 
It lies in between this realm of the unexplainable. So let's talk about that. All in all, there isn't a whole lot that we can really fully understand in this world, nature, and even in the cosmos, right? Well, there is still a lot that is unknown. And our attempts to unravel the, you know, a small portion of the mystery in feng shui is actually known as this term called ruchar. Within this are principles that are basically this idea that it's comfy. It creates boundaries of the, the known stuff and it's tangible. And it's really all based on experience. Through experience, we know that we can find an outcome basically. Professor Lin always taught that there are basically two ways that we can approach a problem, you know, when we're looking for a solution to something that's showing up. The logical, reasonable, totally rational approach is where we find that term Rushar. Within this context, we can find really safe, sensible design solutions that make, for the most part, us comfy, right? We want to be in this comfy spot because it's through experience and we know what the result is going to be and we can explain it. But with that said, equally important is what's called the shushar. Here we find what I think is the good stuff. This is the type of feng shui I practice. Shushar is the complete opposite. It is irrational. It's illogical. And it's the mystical woo-woo hippie stuff that Giovanna messaged me about. And I can say that from years of experience, I have met a lot of pushback when going into this realm of the unknown. Because this is where, you know, people want to unravel that small little portion of mystery and try to explain it. They want to convert it into that Ruchar way of thinking. The cool thing is, is that Professor Lin always said that today's science fiction, you know, that stuff that's beyond this realm of us really knowing what it might be and trying to understand it. He always used to say that today's science fiction could actually be tomorrow's fact. I mean, think about it. We used to think that smoking was good for our health, right? Doctors used to prescribe smoking to people with respiratory issues. And nowadays, knowing what we know in the medical world, this sounds absolutely absurd. So it's no surprise. In my school, we are taught, though, that this Ruchar approach, which is very tangible, very explainable, is only about 10% effective. And I found this to be very true when I started experimenting in like the middle 2000s. Uh, I tried to go a little bit more westernized in my feng shui philosophies because that's what was making people more comfortable. I realized, especially when I moved to the South, and there's a lot of religion here, there's a lot of churches here, they were not comfortable with this idea of this mysticism. They saw it as witchcraft, they saw it as voodoo, and so I tried to convert more to their ways. The problem is, I wasn't getting the kick-ass results that I had seen in my earlier years of feng shui. When I first started in the late 90s, I was like balls to the wall, full-blown BTB feng shui and doing all this transcendental stuff, but I mean, it was seen as weird. I was absolutely seen as, you know, a hippie. So... But in my own experience, 
Now having practiced both ways, I can absolutely attest that the shushar is the way to go. I don't know why people would question it, but you know, it's that visual spectrum. We only have this little tiny explainable section that we can see and explain and know about through the experience and the results that we've gotten. And there is a whole world out there that we don't know. But one prime example of the Rushar versus the Shushar is a couple that is experiencing marital problems. The logical thing might be to tell them, I don't know, to get counseling or something or, you know, maybe even something a little bit more rational like, hey, be nicer to each other or be more compassionate. You know, when you're really pissed off, that could probably be pretty hard to do, right? But through this experience, we've seen that this is more tangible. This is proven to be effective, maybe, and acceptable in our culture. It's, you know, probably the way that or the route that most people would go because that's what people expect of you and and it's uh, the norm. But as a feng shui practitioner like myself, what I may do is go into their home and say, you know, place a mirror here in your hallway or put this crystal here near your bedroom or put this bowl under your bed. And, you know, it's not necessarily rational or logical, but, you know, wrapped in ceremony and ritual, this act of faith will have far greater results, often 120% more effective than any Rushar adjustment or suggestion that you could make. But people have a really, really hard time wrapping their head around this kind of philosophy. Which brings me to, if you don't have that mustard seed of faith, which I've talked about here on the show, it'll squash the likelihood of achieving those kick-ass miracles. You have to remember that energy, it's delicate, it's subtle, it works in unexplainable ways. But if you are below the cross emotion of cynicism, doubt, and belief surrounds you and your environment, which remember, those below the cross emotions are very heavy. They're very dense. That's why when shit's going wrong and and you you got, you know, you, you start using words like, ugh, things feel so stagnant. Things feel so stuck. It's because that energy is dense. It's thick. It's gross. The light, fluffy, miraculous chi won't have a chance to show up if you got all this nonsense and bullshit around you. Does that make sense? Okay, so that brings me then to Carl Jung in response to how is feng shui perceived. Assume the evidence from his studies about consciousness to kind of help us unfold why we lived like to live in this, you know, comfy Ruchar school of thought. This is a great quote from his book. Man has developed consciousness slowly and laboriously. This evolution is far from complete for large areas of the human mind are still shrouded in great darkness. Whoever denies the existence of the unconscious, the unknown, is in fact assuming that our present knowledge is total. And this belief is just as false as the assumption that we know all things and know all there is to know about the natural universe. Pretty heavy stuff, right? All we can say is that we believe and can describe as best as we can that we have researched and accumulated, but those strong grounds for logic 
or rejecting that which cannot be explained is known as Masonism, which is defined as the fear of the new and the unknown. So it's such an interesting point that Carl brings up because there absolutely is and there will always be a section of the culture that is not willing or able or ready to accept anything that's new or unknown. And in this day and age, it's probably going to get harder and harder as technology gets faster and faster and our world moves faster and faster around us. We are being forced daily to learn new things. You're either open to it or you're not. But I will say that as a collective, we are absolutely starting to change in big ways. Halla freaking luyah. Seriously. I remember, this is no joke, I remember back in the 90s when I was getting into feng shui, I was about all things mystical and woo-woo. I remember going to a Borders bookstore and wanting to get a set of something called Tarot. I didn't know anything about it. I didn't know what it was, but a friend of a friend said, hey, you should really check out this like old divination tool called Tarot. I walked into the Borders bookstore and I mean, these bookstores were huge, right? Like they had all of these different sections and categories. And I remember I was there, it was probably really only like 20 minutes, but it felt like an hour. And I'm looking for this thing with a uh, T word, but I didn't even really know what category this said item belonged under. I didn't know if it would be under religion, if it would be under divination, maybe philosophy. I don't know. So I wandered around this bookstore forever and couldn't find it. And I finally went up to the front of the counter and I remember asking the clerk if they had tarot cards. And he kind of raised an eyebrow at me and he was like, I'm not sure, let me go check. And so then another person came up and he's like, well, we do have them, but they're behind a case. They were behind a case. They literally had the cards locked up. So by the time I actually got to the case so that somebody there at the bookstore could open them up, I'm now on my third person. I cannot tell you how... I don't know, guilty, shamed, humiliated, embarrassed, like all of the below the cross emotions that I always talk about. I was probably mostly embarrassed, but they made such a big deal that I had to go up to the counter and ask the person about where they were. And then they had to have another person take me to them. And then a third person come and unlock the case so that I could get these damn things. And then I had to go up to the counter to purchase them. Oh my God, it was such an ordeal just to get a deck of tarot cards. Like <laughs> it was just, it was too much. Especially when you consider that nowadays, when you want something like that, what do you do? You jump online, you find the one you like, and now there's, oh my gosh, there's so many to choose from, right? There's hundreds. But now all you got to do is in the privacy of your home, you can be in your freaking underwear, PJs, whatever, order a deck and you got them in two days. Mine was such an ordeal and it, it, like, it's amazing. And I actually, I still have them to this day, but like talk about traumatized and of course, all four of the people that I had to deal with were all men and they were snickering at me as I was walking out the door with my tarot and I didn't even know what the hell they were. 
it was just based on a friend of a friend's recommendation to get these things. And then, you know, it was another 20 years just to learn how to use the damn things. But that has been my experience as far as this mystical world of doing anything that is anything with uh, astrology, numerology, feng shui, tarot, all these things that involve energy and mystical shushar things. It hasn't always been widely accepted. And I will say that the United States, the culture in, you know, as the collective may not be as self-aware and higher conscious as, as other cultures are. But I would definitely say that the majority of my career, it's definitely been, you know, below the cross emotions as far as what you feel that's projected on you for studying these kinds of things. And I think that anybody in the course of their career, if they do anything that's outside of the realm of normal, at some point, if you practice for a living or even as a hobby, anything that's in the mystical world, you will experience it. I remember Carol Olmstead, uh, she's a feng shui practitioner. I think she's in Santa Fe, New Mexico, I think. But I remember she did a newsletter about two years ago saying that the local news wanted to do a feature on her and basically interview her about having an odd job. She's literally been practicing and utilizing feng shui like me for over 20 years and is also a best-selling author. And she even put in her own newsletter that she could not believe that her career that she had been doing for so many years was still considered, quote unquote, as an odd job. And honestly, for me, thank God for Cloda. And thank God I was able to find her. I've done a podcast with her. She was a couple of weeks ago. So hopefully you've had the chance to listen to that. But but her approach to interior design literally changed the trajectory for me taking feng shui as a hobby and making it into a career. Her approach is this concept that is amazing. She says that to truly support us, a home has to stretch beyond its material properties and sustain our deep human needs. It's about the experience of living and not just simply looking at it and making it look pretty. I love that. I love that. And she gets it. But even to this day, there are still going to be people, there are going to be cynics. So where does that leave us? Giovanna, I think in fact that it will always, unfortunately, be woo-woo hippie shit. To a lot of people, it's just going to be. There's no way around it. There's always going to be that group of people that lives in the Rushar way of thinking. And then there's going to be the collective, the higher conscious people that are going to live in the Shushar and we're going to dance around like happy fairies and be okay with it. And that's not to be discouraging, but just simply realistic. There's always, always going to be those that define this world in this way. They're going to be the Masat. They're going to be the Masonists, I guess we would call them who refuse the unknown or just want to pretend like it doesn't exist because again a lot of this world a lot of what we do cannot be explained it's it there's no boundaries and you know I, I love to think of Professor Lin saying well it might be today's science fiction but tomorrow's known fact and I truly believe that we're not quite there yet but we're close and I've been a hippie all my life so I don't see it as derogatory I mean, I've been a hippie my whole life, and it's mainly because of my mom. 
I was a hippie way before it was cool and trendy. Uh, I remember my mom making handmade soap. Uh, we always had handmade gr uh, granola in the house. She used to can fruits because we had peach trees and lemon trees and plums and all sorts of things. I remember, literally, she was probably going to kill me for saying this, but I remember in the dead of summer, she would be in the kitchen down in her skivvies uh, because the kitchen would be so hot and filled up with steam, but she would can all kinds of fruits and vegetables for the winter. And we used to have to shop at thrift stores, even though we had plenty of money. Um, she did it because she wanted to be sustainable. And I was always the weird girl in the 80s who would, you know, go to school in handmade clothes. My mom always made all of my clothes on her vintage Singer sewing machine and I always had these wild print um, matching tops and bottoms and, you know, everything was handmade. And my mother was so sustainable that she would buy the yard of fabric or whatever it was that she would need for my clothes. She would make the clothes and then all of the scraps would be repurposed, whether that would go into a blanket. Um, she would make hats, scarves. Um, she would make uh, all kinds of like artsy things. I mean, she repurposed everything. And the funny thing is, is that while I hated it growing up, because all I wanted to do, all I wanted to do was fit in. And isn't it funny where I landed in this world of all things woo? <laughs> because now I am absolutely a hippie and I don't always fit in and I'm okay with that. All right. So for those who are listening, whether you're ready to completely dive in or, you know, just simply dip your, dip your toe into the waters of the unknown, over here on this show, I will always experiment and dance and be open to and encompass the illogical, irrational, and mystical because it's totally my jam and I freaking love it. And I hope that you do too. I hope that that's why you continue to listen to the show. And I hope it's something that expands your mind. Even if you are just sort of curious about it and not 100% sure, hang around. I promise I will convert you. <laughs> All right, everyone. Thanks for joining me on the show today. If you would like to uh, subscribe, you know where to find us. You know, you can also drop us a note. Give us a shout. We'd love to hear from you. You can reach out to us at Let's Chat at thegatescompany.com. Um, and if there's a specific topic that you would like to know more about or would like me to talk about, you can just drop us a line and let us know. You can leave us a comment on Facebook, email us um, on iTunes. You can list it there as well. And Giovanna, thank you. Thank you again for giving us your comment. It's so important. Um, I actually wanted to read you a quote um, from Professor Lynn. Um, to leave you with this, because I think that um, it's so good to have open discussions like this and open conversations about things that make us uncomfortable, but in a way that is not really polarizing. Professor said that when I feel criticized, I also feel appreciated. What can What is it that they are saying that can help me? I need not defend myself, but I will reflect upon the comments to see if there's anything that I can correct. 
So Giovanna, I really took his words to heart when you reached out to me and, and let me know that you felt discouraged because I certainly don't want you to feel discouraged about everything that I teach on here and what it is that I do. At the core and the reason behind this podcast is to expand people's minds around feng shui and what it offers us and how it can reach people in a way to change the world. I really want people to be able to walk away with the things that I talk about, uh, not only from a feng shui perspective, but also the guests that I have on this show. I'm hoping that it touches people in a really big way, even a small way. If it if it just changes the, the course of your day in a small way that can result in something greater, more expansive and bigger, then I've done my job. All right, everyone, trust the vibe because the energy never lies. Until next time.